You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Thank you. Good morning, church. Um, It is a pleasure to be here with you. As always, my name is Marcus Ragland. I'm the young adult minister here at Citizens Church um, and just always honored to open up God's word with you. And so if this is your first time or if you're uh, visiting with us virtually, uh, we're glad that you are here as well. And this morning, um, we are in week three of our Advent series. And so by way of reminder, Advent is a time that the church has um, historically set aside time to recall and remember Jesus's first um, Advent, right? His incarnation where he has come to abide with us and what all that means to believers as well as anticipate um, his second coming again. And the conviction underlying this series is that people who live in between these two realities, whose faith is uh, intimately uh, integrated into the theological truths that they both hold, are shaped by those realities. The character and life of waiting people in between the advents has a kind of accent that you can't mistake. My wife, Chrissy, is from New Orleans, and through her, I have had the privilege of knowing more intimately the beauty of that city and the people that live there. And one of my favorite things um, about it, right, besides the southern hospitality, which is rivaled by none, and of course, the cuisine that is uh, rivaled by none as well, is coming in contact with people who are from the city outside of the city. So like, uh, for instance, a couple weeks ago, I went and got lunch with some coworkers and we went to Dilla's and the lady behind the counter was getting ready to take my order. And she said, well, can I get you, baby? And I kind of butchered the accent a little bit because I'm from Texas. And so, um, but immediately I knew, I was like, oh, she's from, she's got to be from the city. So I asked, I said, are you from the city? And she said, I'm from just outside in Alexandria. And I was like, okay, that's where my my wife's sister lives. And, you know, we had a little brief conversation. And one of the things is, right, like there's thousands of cities in the United States. But when you're from New Orleans, you know, like the city is the city. It's one of those, if you know, you know, kind of things. And so in that moment, I heard her speak. I knew that she was acquainted with the city. And when I responded by asking her about it, she knew that I was acquainted or affiliated with the city in some way um, because only people who are from the city refer to it as the city. And in the passage that Ina just read for us, um, and what we'll be spending the bulk of our time this morning unpacking is Jesus tells us that there is a kind of accent and a kind of marker that marks people who are uh, awaiting people, right? His disciples who live in between the advents, who belong to the true city, the new Jerusalem, that there's a a marker and an accent that you just can't mistake. And he says it it, it sounds and it looks like and it smells like and it tastes like the love of Christ. Church, to be awaiting people is to be a loved people. And to be a loved people is to be a loving people. And this morning, I want to spend some time teasing out the awesome gifts that are ours in Christ, since we are beneficiaries of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And so in Christ's love, as we abide with him, uh, we get, there's three things that are made available to us and are true about us. One, we are made friends of God. We are made aware of God's plans, and we are made ambassadors of God's love. We're made friends of God, we're made aware of God's plans, and we're made ambassadors of God's love. If you have your Bibles, 
Um, you could turn with me to John 13, and we'll look at verses 31 through 35 in just a minute, but we need to start in verse 1 because it provides a kind of context. And John gives us a peek into the internal wrestles and struggles of Christ um, in this moment. And we got to comprehend it and, and understand it to see what Jesus is doing and telling us. And uh, to be honest, the disciples themselves probably didn't grasp um, the fullness of it at that time. Uh, Ryan Coogler, the director of Black Panther, he was interviewed recently on a podcast and was describing kind of his encounters and impressions of Chadwick Boseman before he passed while filming the first film and leading up into the second. And one of the things that he, he describes is now having the knowledge of all that uh, Bozeman was going through in his life and knowing the suffering that he was wrestling with, he recalled all of those fight scenes and all of the moments that he spent with him and all of his advocating for the film that he was doing. And it just elevated it to a new plane, knowing the, the wrestle that he was enduring while he was uh, doing all of those things. And similarly, John is remembering sometime later these final moments that he got to have with Jesus, but now with the knowledge of what Jesus was truly setting out to do, knowing the struggles that he was going to, knowing the, the wrestles that he was going through, and it just elevates his memory of that moment to an even higher plane. Look at verse 1. He says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. He felt the sacred weight in the room. John is thinking back and remembering Jesus' plight and caught up in the awe of it all. He writes, having loved his own who are in the world. He loved them to the very end, right? John's writing about himself and the rest of the um, apostles and the disciples. He says Jesus loved them to the very end. And how could he be sure of this? Because just as we saw with Mary last week, right, that, that when she worshiped God in this time in her life where it was, would have been difficult in understanding why uh, one might not worship, here we get to see Jesus actively loving his disciples in a tangible way at a time where it is uh, difficult to love and very easy and understandably so why somebody might focus on themselves, right? Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. All throughout the book, John references Jesus speaking of his hour and he's always referring to the cross. That's what he has in mind. And now he is full aware that that time is before him. Judas was already carrying out the plot of the devil against Jesus to sell him out to Rome. One of Jesus's very own friends and disciples who is here joining them in fellowship, breaking the bread, drinking the cup and being a recipient of Jesus's love is about to leave this room of fellowship to turn him over to his enemies. And John begins then to write in what's called historical present in Greek. Right. It's, it's hard to translate in English, but it's this mode of speech where you talk about past events as if it's unfolding right before your eyes. It's kind of like in a movie when you get taken to a flashback, right? Rather than having the character speak about the moment, it just zaps you into the moment so you can see it and feel it um, and smell it. And John snaps us back, remembering these circumstances surrounding Jesus, and he writes, so Jesus got up from supper 
He laid aside his outer clothing and he took a towel and tied it around himself. You can imagine the disciples curious as to what Jesus might have in mind to be doing right now. And he pours some water into a basin and he begins to wash his disciples' feet one by one and drying their feet with the towel that was wrapped around them. And this is why we have to start here this morning, because the proclamation and the new commandment that we're going to look at in just a moment in verses 31 through 35 are given to disciples who still have wet feet. They were still in the moment of having been served in the humblest way by God himself in the flesh. Jesus had loved them before he was currently loving them as he washed his feet and he was about to display the ultimate uh, display love in the ultimate fashion. And this was the foundation holding up what he asked of us and asked of them in verses 33 through 35. Look at it with me. He says to his disciples and to us, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples and if you have love for one another. Again, later in verse, chapter 15, verse 12 through 14, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. First point this morning, in Christ's love, we have been made friends of God. In these verses, Jesus is doing something that is characteristic throughout the book of John, right? The author John is writing um, and attesting to the divinity of Jesus, and in so doing, the newness of life that he has brought in and through him. And so John opens his book with a new beginning, right, uh, centered around Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He starts to establish Jesus as the new and better prophet, leading a new kind of people. We know from the, the book of uh, Luke that the Passover meal even becomes the Lord's Supper. And what was once a memorial oriented around the events of the Exodus, Jesus reorients around himself. And here in this passage, Jesus is reorienting in the same way the greatest commandment to be centered around him. If I could borrow some sentence structure from the Sermon on the Mount, it's as if Jesus was saying, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor as yourself. But I say that you should love your neighbor as I have loved you. Those who were once enemies, beloved as dear friends. In retrospect, the washing of the disciples' feet prior to this moment encompasses all of what Jesus had been doing in their relationship all along. And it gives such clarity to what Jesus is asking of them and ultimately to us. D.A. Carson in his comp uh, commentary on John noted that someone might object to this claim, right, that this is the greatest display of love, right? They might ask, would not the greatest display of love be to give one's life for your enemies? Would that not be greater and, and more profound than to give your life for your friend? And that objection would be great and it would hold up if Romans 5, 8 through 10 weren't in our Bibles which reminds us of where we started. And look at verse eight, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And in light of this reality, Dr. Carson continues to say, don't miss this. Love has sunk below its proper level if we begin to ask who is my friend and who is my enemy. This was important to the disciples then, and this is significant for us now because while we are a waiting people who are dearly beloved by God, this reminds us that we were not born that way. But according to God's mercy and grace, we have been made friends of God. If we belong to Christ, we are indeed his friends, but only because he chose to first be friends to us while we were still reckless enemies. We need always to remember where we come from, that the kind of love Jesus has bestowed upon us is not something that is owed to us, but is a gift. The arms of God's love, like Moses' arms uplifted in the wilderness, are always upheld alongside his mercy and his grace. And it is only because of that that we get to partake in the love of Christ. To put it more blatantly, right, um, when you know good and well you ain't been living right. Or maybe you've been living okay, but the circumstances surrounding your life has clouded your ability to to feel and, and know God's love for you. Right, God's love feels compromised. Or you uh, feel like you're questioning whether he'll receive you back or if his love is still abiding. It's especially in these kinds of moments that we need to remember what Paul wrote in Romans 5.10 to remind us about where we come from and the character and nature of our God, that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son and much more than as those who have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We can have confidence in God's love for us now as sons and daughters because his love met us most acutely while we were still ops. That's opposition, if you didn't know that. That's just some some slang to get you ready to serve in young adults, you know. Um, But it's true, right, that our, our mess and circumstances didn't stop God from pursuing us before. So our mess and our circumstances today is not gonna stop him anymore. We've been made friends and we are dearly beloved by God. And we got to tuck this this truth close to the heart because where we're going the rest of this morning, uh, we won't be able to walk in it the way we've been called to if we don't first have this operating and working on our hearts. So not only have we been made friends of God, but Jesus takes it a step further and he tells us that we've been made aware of God's plans. Look at John 15, 15. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Again, Dr. Carson comments on, uh, on what he says, and he says that God in, in Christ commands and his commandments are absolute and deserving of our obedience. And yet he takes pains to inform his friends of his motives, plans, and purposes. His friends are informed of his thinking, enjoy his confidence, and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's heart. In other words, friendship with Jesus gives us intimacy with God that comes with information about the heart of God. 
And there is information that we have as a waiting people that allows us to live faithfully between the two advents. And we have received that revelation as an act of love. Church, revelation, right? The fact that you can open your Bible, read God's words, understand it, and know about God and his plan for your life and ultimately his plan for the world is a gift. He could have just left us in the dark, right? With nothing but because I said so. And I could have been enough. Anybody grow up in a house with because I said so? I did. Uh, as a kid, I couldn't stand because I said so. It was the worst thing that I could experience. But over time, I realized that it's not all bad. There's some good to because I said so. If you're a kid listening, just trust me. I remember I'd asked for something. It didn't really matter what it was. I could be asking to hang out with friends or wanting to buy some new toy at the store. And, you know, from time to time, I'd ask, you know, hey, can I have this? Can I get that? My parents would respond, no, we're not going to get that today. Or like, no, you're not going to go over there this time. We're going to stay home. And like all children, I would say, why? And from time to time, they would respond, because I said so. And I would seethe on the inside, right? And it's just like, that's not, a, that's not an answer or an explanation. But I would save my grumbling, you know, until I was a good distance away. <laughs> uh, it's wise. But remember, with intimacy comes information. And over time, as we would have conversations, I got to, to learn in some instances the, the heart of my parents and why some of these uh, because I said so moments uh, were, were true. I learned that when they made me complete my work before I was allowed to play, that they were trying to teach me the importance of priorities and, and work ethic. I remember the, the time that I uh, got ran over flat in football and wanted to quit, and they wouldn't let me, uh, that it wasn't about playing football, but they were trying to teach me the importance of uh, holding to my commitments and being faithful. And I was like, cool, but what about safety? That's, I'm too small for this sport. They got one season out of me. Um, but also, I learned that when they told me, hey, you need to be home before the street lights come on, and when my dad used to not let me wear my, the hood of my hoodie walking around the store, like all of these rules that seemed arbitrary in the moment um, were meant to protect me in some way. And here's the thing, right? There's a, a lot of times they still told me because I said so. And as time went on, right, that, that could have sufficed because their authority in my life uh, merited my obedience. But with the information that came with the intimacy, even those unknown moments, I was able to chalk up with them working for my good. God's authority and lordship over our lives is no different. He has reason enough to ask anything of us and to chalk it up with because I said so. But because we have been made friends with God and intimacy brings information. Jesus says, because we have been called his friends, we have a kind of insight into the heart of the Father that helps us understand even the mystery. First Peter 1 tells us uh, that in Christ we have information that not even the prophets of old had, and that we have information that even the angels long to look into, that because we've been made friends with God, we can echo the words of Peter with confidence and joy in the midst of our waiting. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's his first advent. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time when he comes again. In this, while we wait, we rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, we have been grieved with various trials so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Church, we have more than enough information in Christ's love to know that even in times when life is not clear, when the answers to our questions and our prayers feels like because I said so, that even though we don't have all of the details of every situation, we know enough to believe him and to know that he is still working for our good. To know that by his power, he is guarding us through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed when he returns and comes again. And because his love is behind us and it goes before us and it fills us, even when it doesn't make sense, we have strength enough to say, God, I love you and I trust you. We've been made friends with God and we have been made aware of his plans And it is through both of those that we've been invited. We have been made ambassadors of God's love. Look at these verses. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. For everyone who has been gripped and transformed by the reality of Christ's love for them, this will manifest out of their life in some way. To be changed by the gospel of John 3.16 is to walk in obedience to the mandate in 1 John 3.16. And Jesus tells us that if we obey him in this way, we will exemplify the greatest Christian apologetic. It is true that a lot of characteristics mark the Christian life between the advents, but Jesus specifically tells us here that this is the marker. If you could strip away the worldviews and religions of the worlds to their core, he says, what will distinguish my disciples from all else is a Christ-like love for one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. And it's in light of this that John goes on to say, as we just saw in John 3, 1 John 3, 17 through 18. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his heart or, or closes his affections towards them, right? Becomes unfeeling towards the needs of those around them. How does the love of God abide in him? And he charges us not to love with word or with tongue, but in deed, in truth. 
In so many ways, uh, John writes 1 John as a kind of commentary and explanation of this upper room discourse that we looked at in John 13 through 17. And in this instance, it's so helpful um, uh, for us to understand the breadth of what Jesus is asking of us when he calls us to love one another. Just in case we were prone to think um, that by laying down our life, he simply only meant uh, the literal sense of dying, right? But rather also a kind of living for one another, a kind of selflessness in life that moves us towards those in need to alleviate their plight. There's an episode we see that, that exemplifies this in Acts 21 through 22. Uh, Paul is attacked by mob rioters because they, they find him, uh, find out that he was a guy who brought a, an Ephesian, a Gentile, into the temple in Jerusalem. And so they literally attack him in the middle of the town. And the uproar is so loud and the people are so rambunctious that the Roman guards hear it and they come and find out who it was. And uh, it, was, it was so much chaos. They thought that he was an uh, Egyptian uh, rioter who had tried to lead a revolt out in the middle of the wilderness. Like, it was this crazy scene. The people are so uh, aggressive towards Paul that the guards have to pick him up and walk him away from the people. And before he got too far away, uh, he leverages the privilege of his citizenship and gets the guards to, to leave him alone so that he's able to address the crowds. And what happens next is so profound, right? You have this bullied and bruised and beaten Paul. Not weeks after the encounter, after he's healed a little bit, or months after the encounter, after he's got over being angry and has found it in his heart to forgive. But while his, his bruises are still aching and his uh, wounds are still bleeding, he stands before the people who had just assailed him. And he opens his mouth and he says, brothers and fathers, please hear my defense. And he proceeds to give his testimony in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And essentially what he says is, listen, I understand your intensity and your anger. I used to be just like that, but even worse. I remember standing by and applauding when Stephen was stoned. And I remember how much I used to hate the way and all those who followed it. And I was uh, just as angry uh, and bitter towards it as you were. But then I met Jesus. Or rather, Jesus met me and knocked me down to my feet. And after what I encountered, it, it changed my heart. And the very people that I was eager to snuff out became the very people that I've been willing to lay my life down. And we see example of that when he literally takes a beating and is, and is bruised so that this, this Ephesian church, that this, this man who is a Gentile who's not welcomed in could be brought near so that he could meet God. Because laying down our lives for one another and sharing the world's goods is not just a matter of dying and it's not just a matter of money. There's a number of ways that we lay down our lives and gives the world goods to one another. It's our power, it's our influence, it's our network, our education, our skill set, our home, our attention, our time, right? It's asking the question, what does my neighbor need of me and am I willing to give it? Nothing we possess is more precious than our own lives. So to be willing to lay down our life for a brother, surely we'd be willing to give the things that we have in this life away. As Paul writes in Thessalonians, right, does our, does our heart sing and think of those around us like he did, where he says, not only was I eager to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, but our very lives because you had become so dear to us. 
This is the nature of the call Jesus has given us. And right now, if you're thinking, oh, man, that's, that's a tough bargain, you're right. right? Like this, is, this was the weight that the rich young ruler felt when he was confronted by the call. How does anyone do that? How do you live a life that's marked with this kind of love? I don't know about you, but I know my own heart, and it's more self-absorbed than I would care for it to be. And love like this requires us to have a lot of skin in the game. And here's what's true. None of us in our flesh on our own are built to walk in this kind of love. This kind of love is a byproduct of the previous two realities. It is the fruit of it. In other words, you don't get at obedience to this commandment directly. We can't obey this command to love if we have not yet been shaped by the love that comes from Christ. And like all other Christian virtues, right, it's not a matter of walking in it perfectly, but as we grow in the reality and the truth and nature of Christ's love for us, what will start to come out of our lives and our hearts is a kind of Christ-like love for those around us. And this is why the application to a sermon like this is less about us trying harder and more about us abiding more. Earlier, I mentioned my wife being from New Orleans and how uh, dear her family and hometown have become to me. And a few months ago, uh, we had the privilege of uh, having her grandmother, Grandma Lena, move in with us. She was having some health complications. And so um, Chrissy being the excellent nurse that she is, we got the opportunity um, to care for her in that way. And ironically enough, it was a similar way that Grandma Lena and Chrissy got to care for her mom uh, when Chrissy was a little girl, and that was what inspired her to be a nurse in the first place. And so it's just um, a gift to be able to extend that in return. And in the midst of sorting through some of the paperwork and things uh, for Grandma Lena as she was getting transitioned, uh, I found out that she was not from New Orleans, that she was born in Mississippi. And I remember just being shocked because like every fiber of her being screams New Orleans. Like she's a diehard Saints fan. Uh, she says baby like she's from New Orleans. She makes gumbo like she's from New Orleans. Like she knows the city of New Orleans like she had been there. And I was like, I was so shocked. I couldn't believe it. I, like, I feel like I've been missing something this whole time. And the reality is uh, Grandma Lena's 86 now. And she was born in Mississippi, but she was only there to the age of four. And the greater part of her life she got to spend in the city of New Orleans. And so even though she wasn't born in the city, she was formed in the city. And the longer she stayed there and the more she became uh, accustomed to its customs, the city began to take up its residence in her. Church, Christ-like love is not our native tongue. Our birth certificate does not read kingdom of light, but rather kingdom of darkness. But thanks be to God, because of his great love with which he's had for us, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Though we are not born in the light, we have been formed in the light. And day by day, he is forming us and remaking us. And the longer we abide in his presence, his presence starts to abide and take up residence within us. This is the response. And over time, what begins to happen in our life, having been formed by Christ's love, 
having abided with him, as we started to develop a different kind of accent than we had before, the the words from our lips start to be seasoned with a little more salt and a little more truth, and we start to sound like our Savior because we've spent so much time in his word and in his presence, and we become more inclined to open our heart towards those around us because we realize that everything that we have been given is a gift to give to those around us. We start to be shaped like we are from him and the Christ-like love that has been given to us starts to manifest out of our lives. We become Christ's ambassadors, his love present among us the same way it has been first given and resided within us. I'll bring it to the ground as we close. Uh, If you're hearing all of this and you feel a mix of of energy to, to obey and a conviction to walk more faithfully in this way, Um, My encouragement is that you do so, but that you would do so while looking up. Maybe you feel compelled to be more intentional in your your marriage or your relationships and to better extend this kind of love. And my encouragement is that you would do so, but that you would do so by looking up. Remembering the true bridegroom who has loved you in uh, the most self-sacrificial way possible and has purified you through the death and resurrection on the cross. And in doing so, we'd be able to walk in better love for one another. Maybe you feel more compelled to be more loving and more giving to the lost around you. My encouragement is please do that. Be a light. Go out, share the good news, and as you do it, look up. Remember that Jesus is the true fisher of man, and that while we were yet sinners and enemies, he stepped down from the throne, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, made himself like us, lived like us, suffered with us, and died for us while we were still his enemies. Maybe you feel more compelled to be more loving towards those in your life who maybe aren't so easy to love. And my encouragement is that you would press into that, but you would do so by looking up, remembering that we were once enemies and we have been recipients of a great grace and a great mercy, and that Christ pursued us when we weren't interested in pursuing him. You see, all of us, are best poised to walk in obedience to this commandment when we realize that we have been commanded with wet feet, that we have been washed by Jesus and we have been loved by Jesus and cherished by him. And it is out of that space that we are able to extend that to those around us. We have been made friends with God at his first coming. We have been made aware of his plans until he returns. And still, while we wait, he has called us to be ambassadors of his love to those around us. To be a waiting people is to be a loved people, and to be a loved people is to be a loving people. Let us pray. God, we love you. We love you. And those words only hold weight because you first loved us. We only know love. We only know the kind of love that, that, that truly changes and truly has power because we have been recipients of your great love. Father, there's, there's so, many, so many things to come of a life um, from a command like this. Well, God, and I pray that we uh, as, a, as a church would be faithful to display that in our homes, in our communities, Um, to those around us at our workplace. But God, I pray that we would 
not be tempted to try to attempt such a thing in our own strength, from our own heart, from our own knowledge, Lord, but that we would, we would extend that kind of love because we are a people who diligently and faithfully and continually abide in your love. Lord God, that we, we remember the, the love of our youth, Lord God, that we recall the moment that you first called us son or daughter, the moment that you first rescued us from darkness, Lord God, that you met us in a dark and ugly place and you have brought us into newness of life. How could we not share? How could we not reciprocate? Lord, may we be filled with your love in the waiting. May we be reminded of your love in the waiting and may we be the extension of your love to those around us while we wait. God, we love you. We trust you. It is in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.